Okay, Francois, how you doing, man? Welcome to the Bluemix podcast. Thanks, man. Thanks, Rabbi, for having me. It's kind of fun to, to be on the other side of the camera. Absolutely. I mean, I've been seeing you. Uh, we've been keeping in touch on social media for a while now. Uh, we touched base, I think, a week, week and a half ago. Yeah. I'm not sure. Time's kind of yeah. weird right now, but um, about, about that, because uh, you've been so vocal on uh, LinkedIn, and I mean, all your posts get a lot of traction. I, mean, I myself engage with it a lot, just because I like the, like the messaging, like the thoughts behind it. So I really wanted to get to know uh, the thoughts behind the posts, who you are, and uh, where they kind of originate from. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, yeah, great. Happy to be on. Thanks again for having me. So, you know, I, I started in, in the tech space as, as a help desk jockey. So I was a nerd like 20 years ago. Um, mm -hmm. And 10 years, kind of fast forward 10 years later when I was kind of moved along in my career. I remember in 20, uh, 2006, I was looking at LinkedIn the other day when I joined. And, you know, that was when people were like, what is this platform? Like, why are you inviting me? Right. It was almost like it was almost weird. Right. It was like some new platform. And, you know, um, if you were in tech, I think people kind of got it. It was like this virtual Rolodex. It only took a couple of years when basically everybody in your network was starting to be on it. And then, then it's, you know, fast forward to now, I've noticed kind of in the last year, it's really, really exploded. I don't need to tell you about all the numbers in terms of people on there. And I think one of the, the really interesting things that people are seeing is kind of like Facebook, maybe back in 14 or 15, there's just not a lot of people producing content on LinkedIn and yeah. there's an opportunity. So, you know, I think that's where people are trying to really, uh, capture that. And so I've really doubled down since I think uh, November this year and just in terms of being consistent uh, with the posting. But, you know, whenever people are kind of going, well, what's your advice or kind of what's the, the secret? Uh, we both know there's never a secret or a hack. It's really, it's consistency, but I think it's as important, if not more important to, to have your engagement. So, you know, you can post all day, but if you're not engaging with other people, so being part of those conversations, you're not going to get it back. And I always give people the example of it's like a live networking event. If you and I meet Ravi at a networking event, we're going to have some small talk. We're going to talk about things. And, you know, it's probably going to be better if I'm listening. If I just mm -hmm. come in there and I'm like, hey, Ravi, here's my business card. It's not going to end well, right? Like, you're not going to be like, sweet, let's, let's, let's get this transaction going. And, and I don't think it's that much different. And I find it fascinating that people have a hard time with that. I think they just think it's this new medium where they can go and sell. And that's falling yeah. flat on its face. Yeah, like, so that's interesting that you've been on the platform for a while. You said since 2006? Yeah, it, only recently I realized the power of LinkedIn. So I've only been on LinkedIn for about an hour, a year and a half, year and a half now. Like before that, LinkedIn was just a place for your resume. You know, totally. you the resume builder, I could wait to like just catalog it and just to sync up your resume thing. Totally. It's never meant to be, like never seen as a social network, at least for me and my friends, my generation, right? But I didn't realize how old LinkedIn is. It has been around since like almost the 90s, was it? Yeah, and, and, it's, and, and it's interesting, right? Because I just don't think it had the value there. And I think you nailed it, right? It was just basically a digital resume, right? So whereas now, you know, I mean, it, it's almost social proof. Like, you know, we all start, I think, the, the journey in terms of like looking for somebody providing a service or a product. So I might, I might stumble on Bluemix. I'll look at your website. But when I look at Ravi, I'll be like, well, who is Ravi? And you'll have probably a link to your other social feeds, but I'll go to LinkedIn. And then I'll be like, okay, yeah, he's real. These are the things he's done. These are some of his connections. Maybe there's some recommendations. Oh, cool. Here's some stuff he's been commenting on. So now it is, you know, obviously it's much bigger than that, that digital resume, but there's some social proof. And the reality is, you know, the, the statistics are out there that there's, you know, most like executives are going on there now um, mm -hmm. to, to, to check that out. Like, are you legit? Is your company there? Is your company engaging? You know, so, you know, 
if you didn't have a good website, you're already dead in the water. But now if you're not even on LinkedIn, people aren't even going to believe you exist. Yeah, like absolutely. And I think that's what it is. Like, I think you nailed it by saying it's a, it's a way to social proof people, a way to validate that they're real and genuine and who they say they, who they are. Yeah. Um, like it's interesting because like business is basically built on trust. Yep. Like, you know, it's us, us trusting each other and these tools all go, come into play to help engage that trust, to verify the other person on their end. And it's interesting, even though like, like we have evolved so much with these tools, we still follow these old principles, right? When we, you know, humans are doing business with each other for forever. Like I'll argue even us doing this podcast here, it's almost a transaction. Yep. Right? For you to come here and trust that you can come in, come here and like have like a valid time where right. it's, a, it's a true platform for you to share your thoughts and not be like a, an ambush or anything like that. Yeah. You have the ability of going and seeing into, into LinkedIn or other social medias or for sure. all these tools to sure. have the proof of who we are and who we are, say who we are. But I think the interesting thing on LinkedIn is how it's blown up as like a, as like a business tool, right? Mm. Beyond just like a sales platform or beyond just a resume, beyond just a contact card or digital, digital outlet. It has kind of evolved the landscape where people who want to do virtual business now don't, are not linked to just phone calls anymore. People are just connecting directly through that because you can follow each other, yep. hear each other's thoughts, what you think about certain landscape. And, you know, I think business evolved to become, sales especially has evolved to become a transfer of ideas. Yeah. And uh, that's what we're seeing, right? Sorry, I just got a call, so I got distracted there. Yeah. But what is your think like like business has evolved so that LinkedIn has become, become who it is or it has like these tools change business by giving more social proof and ability it's interesting you know I mean I, I think you know so, so a few thoughts you know I've seen a lot of commentary around you know people saying you know what do I post what do I put out there and I've seen a lot of content as well around people saying it's becoming too Facebooky, right? Like people are now posting pictures of their kids, and pictures of their dogs and their cats. And so, you know, you know, I guess kind of back to your question, I think at the, at the end of the day now, I mean, you know, like there's Facebook and, and, and LinkedIn and LinkedIn is kind of, you know, is, is, you know, people with their suit on, you could say, right. But the reality is like, and this working from home scenario has basically um, you know, the, the lines were already getting blurry, right? You had, you know, you had casual Friday, you know, and, and then, you know, it was like, oh, I see Ravi, you know, out at the park. Well, you know, he's, he's not dressed the same as at work, but Ravi's Ravi. And, and now, you know, working from home, we're like, yeah, well, you know, we have people see people's dogs and cats and, and, and the reality is, is like, this is who we are. And so, you know, I think what I've seen actually, what's interesting is on, on uh, LinkedIn, where a lot of people get a lot of traction is when, when their posts and what they're sharing is more personal because you know if all you're doing is like hey this is my product this is what it does this is my people are kind of like i don't care i can go read about your product i want to know about you because humans are working and doing transactions with humans and they want to build that trust and so when they see you being more open and more genuine um, i think there's a natural connection and i've also seen that when people are being a little bit more kind of raw and not so happy clappy like hey everything's you know i'm winning we're crushing it like reality is we all know that's like 10% of your day, maybe even five. The rest of the time, you're like slogging it out. You're losing, you're getting rejected. And when I see people being very open about, you know, rejection, things not working, I think that's where they really, you know, people kind of go, yeah, finally people are willing to kind of talk about this. And, and, and it's reality. We all know that if we're all talk, if all our posts are all just high fives, 
it's fake, right? It's just this echo chamber of people basically saying, hey, all we're doing is winning. When you and I know, you know, you might, you might prospect 50 people, you might hear back from two, and you might get a meeting with one. It, it's not all, it's not all kind of like glory. So I think, you know, the, the piece on LinkedIn that's been interesting is that, you know, people are wanting to see that personal side of people um, because they, they want to get to kind of know that, that other, the person on the other side and know, you know, the real side of them. And, and that's, I think that's actually been a surprising piece where the platform's done really good. And, and is it kind of like blending and blurring over the lines of Facebook? I don't know, man. I, I don't know what the right answer is there. Going to, that, going to that question, right? Blurring the line between Facebook and LinkedIn. Yeah. Uh, I mean, should people be be different on these different platforms? Because they are meant for different use cases, right? Or like, you know, do you tailor like a, like a social media like personality? Yeah. Right? A project, so project one view of yourself on LinkedIn, one view on Instagram, one view on Facebook, which people are naturally doing. Or do you try to be the same person to, on all these platforms and like, project the same kind of content? You know, that's a really good question. And I think, you know, I've, I've heard this, this, this question, even on LinkedIn, right? Like some people are like, well, I sell to, you know, guys that have steel mills. They don't, they aren't on LinkedIn. And, and my, my response to that is like, great, well, like find where they are and go see them there. But in 2020, there's like a super high probability, someone connected to someone within that organization is on LinkedIn, like a board member or a shareholder. So somebody is, is connected there. But, you know, to your point, you know, we've all seen those memes floating around, like, what was it a month ago, you know, where Dolly Parton had her LinkedIn, YouTube, Instagram kind of persona. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, is, is my persona or what I post on, on Instagram, for example, different? Sure. But, you know, I also know people on LinkedIn who have that specific persona because of who they're targeting, right? Like, I know some people, their posts are like 80% emoji. But my guess is, I'm going to make a guess, if you're like trying to sell into, you know, guys in the financial sector, it's going to be a little bit more buttoned up. Right. And, and I know some people who, you know, use a lot more humor. So I think, um, you know, to your question, you know, you can have a different persona on Twitter and on LinkedIn, on TikTok, if you want I don't think there's a right answer there because I think you're probably targeting different people. The reality is people are going to find you there now. Right. So if you don't want people to know the Ravi on Twitter, then, you know, don't, don't put the Ravi on Twitter, but for LinkedIn specifically, you know, when I, when I really doubled down on November around spending more time and building that brand, I've been very deliberate around it. Right. So, I mean, I could show up here on a tank top, but that's not the, the, the perception I want people to have. Do I wear a tank top at the beach? Sure. Uh, am I the scrawniest guy there? Absolutely. But it doesn't matter. Right. Like, but if I was a personal trainer and there are some on LinkedIn and some people kind of like shake their head, but the reality is like, it's a business platform, right? It's, it's B2B and it is, B to C, right? Because you are, you can sell directly uh, to people. Um, you're building that brand. You want that, that, that image of what you want people to think about you. So I don't know, man. Like, I think, I think that, again, the, the lines have been blurring and now you almost can't hide anymore, right? I mean, you, you could be a business on top party on the bottom, but the reality is like, whatever you want people to see, you got to put out there. And some people, you know, do a really good job of, of you know, building out that brand. And if I'm targeting people in a specific area and I know they're looking for something, then I got to tailor that. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk a little about that because you're a seasoned sales leader as well. That's why yep. you're seeing this platform as for what it is, like you know, the potential to reach people, uh, an audience at a different level. Now, can you talk about your sales history and uh, you know, where this mindset kind of came from? Yeah, no, great question. And, and so, yeah, when you asked me earlier, I kind of went straight from, 
you know, the, the 10 years of being in the weeds on the technical side to, to straight to LinkedIn. And then the other 10 years of that, I was in the consulting side and then ended up moving into to sales. And, you know, what I've seen in the last few years, um, and, and my approach has always been like, I still tell people like 20 years ago when I was like on a help desk helping people, um, I enjoyed that. And I'm still looking at it as like, if, you know, I'm trying to prospect Ravi or Ravi's reaching out to me, I'm trying to ultimately help them solve a problem. I might have a product or service that can help them. I might not. But, you know, now when I look at LinkedIn, you know, again, when, when people are asking for advice on, you know, what to post, how to post, I think, you know, it gets, it gets a little cliche, but you, you have to add some value. So you're putting some content out there that people kind of want to go, I need to learn a little bit more about what this guy's saying. He's obviously, you know, smart in a certain area or he has, you know, some subject matter expertise. But I think, you know, from, from the selling side, um, that's, that's something that I think you have to kind of build and curate there. So you want, you know, who, who are you trying to sell to? Like, is it a specific niche or vertical or market? So, you know, my, my strategy has always been follow those people, start to try and engage with them. So if you're prospecting them or if, if you, you know, want to do work with them, they're going to know who, who, you know, Ravi is or who I am. So, you know, that's, that's number one, but number two, I think, you know, it, it's everyone I've talked to, I mean, in that tech stack of sales tools, you know, LinkedIn and LinkedIn navigator, like I haven't heard anybody who doesn't use that now. Like those are basically table stakes. You need those platforms. Um, are there other tools you can use to, to get in information on, you know, what Ravi's cell phone number is, things like that? Absolutely. But I think what I see some people, um, I think doing wrong sometimes is they, they jump too quickly. And listen, just because I've been on it since 2016, I know guys who've been on it for like a year and they've already like surpassed me just because they've invested so much time and energy into the platform. Because really, I think this last year is where it's really, the engagement's really exploded, but they're putting in the time and, and following the people that, you know, that are in, in similar kind of industries, have similar mindsets, but also, you know, engaging like nonstop with people within their verticals, within their industries, mm -hmm. and they're on LinkedIn. So again, back to that old point, if that client isn't on LinkedIn, you're going to be wasting your trying, you know, trying to find them or, or if he's on LinkedIn and he's not active, but if you can find those people that are active, then when it comes to prospecting, uh, you know, that, you know, you can email, you can call, but then you can re reach out through LinkedIn. So you know, the one thing we're, we're really seeing now is it's, it's this kind of multi-prong, right? LinkedIn, email, phone, you know, like there's, there's three or four different ways to hit people now because it's like a war for attention, right? Like how many times are you just like mass deleting emails that come in? Cause you don't, you don't have time, right? So after that phone call and after that personalized video message that comes into LinkedIn, you're probably going to open it. And um, yeah, I mean, it, there, there's no like magic bullet. There's no tool that's going to break down that door anymore. It's, it's, I think people almost have to be more tenacious now, even though we have more tools. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like you've got to be more forward thinking, and it's it's there's no there's no classical education towards this. You know, yeah. you know, there's no forefront thinking of hey, this is how to train people to think this way. Or everyone's kind of compiling it on their own and figuring it out. Um, like I, I personally got onto uh, doubling down on LinkedIn only after Gary V, right? Okay. I was listening to Gary Gary V like two years ago. You know this guy, I, random follow on LinkedIn. Yeah. Every time I scroll, scroll by past videos, sorry, on not even LinkedIn, this is on Instagram. And every time I scroll past the videos, he's yelling at me to like you know produce more content. And that right. was his spiel, his his spiel like uh, two years ago. He's like yell at people to get them excited. Yeah. Uh, and uh, to do more things. And he was talking about how LinkedIn is the next platform. Right, it's a growth platform. 
And what I appreciate really about him is that he talked about his platform, his growth mechanics, right? So as they grow and people flood in, um, if, you are, if you can grow with it, your content, your brand can grow with it if you're targeted and you know what you're doing. Yeah. And he was talking about how he, 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 he had his growth um, because of the, the dot-com bubble, right? That was when he was younger, like he rode the wave, had a, a dot-com company. And since then he's obsessed about like, hacking platforms, growth level platforms. And using that growth to funnel his growth, like sucking a part of that growth into himself, refunneling that growth into himself. And I'm like, that's such a cool strategy. Yeah. And it's the point where now he like invests into platforms, right? Because he, he plays that metric. You go out there and grow, but as you grow, I'm, if I can engage or have content here, right, I can engage that audience and suck some of that attention towards me. So as Absolutely. that platform grows up, right, yeah. I take this. I'm like, that's such an interesting way of looking at these platforms because everyone yeah. looks at it like, oh, it's an equity play, you know? I wish I bought some Facebook. I wish I bought some on LinkedIn. But the attention play is also an equity play, if you think about it. Like that, yeah. like that ability to take the attention out of even a few seconds, a few minutes out of like hundreds of people's uh, lives, sure. daily For lives. Sure. They're tuning into what your content is. You kind of have a, have a way in with them, right? Because they're paying attention to you. They actually know your name. You know your brand. Yep. So if you engage with them, they're more likely to pick up your call, pick up your, you know, return your text, Absolutely. Right? return your messages. And that's like the business game that's now become evolved to. And this is so radically different from how sales has been treated at this point. Because, you know, like I, I love this quote, like pre-internet, the sales was, um, was predatory, right? You had knowledge as a salesperson, your target did not have knowledge of the industry or the product, right? You're taking advantage of lack of knowledge to provide a conversion. And a lot, so that's why sales has such a negative stereotype because up until the internet, the history of time, including sales, you can do a bad sale, you know, lie to the customer, whatever it is, and you walk away and the sales computer, you get paid as a salesperson, you're moving on. Right? Absolutely. And such a, that's why it has such a negative stereotype, but the internet's changed that because now you can verify the individual, yep. verify the organization. And if they screw you, you can leave a review that's going to, that's going to stay with them. Right. You can give forewarning to others yep. that's coming up. So it's kind of, forced the market to become more accepting of the idea of value-based sales. Yeah. Like how am I giving you value before the sale, right? Through information like yourself, putting up posts, putting up inf information, putting up PowerPoints, presentations, what, webinars, whatever it is, selling through information, getting like, validated from the market, yeah. and then pushing your market, which again, serves an actual value. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, a lot of industry, that's what they're suffering from is the, is the idea that they can't just hire somebody to just push a product anymore. <laughs> they had to communicate value and their values properly. Well, and, and, and the thing is like, you know, you hit some really good points there. The bar is so high now, I think, for someone in sales because every customer can do their due diligence, diligence and self-educate. So you need to be that delta. So, you know, I know your product does this. What can you tell me, Ravi, that I haven't been able to read or watch on YouTube? And, you know, you got to do your homework to be able to tell them that. So they're probably going to be, you know, customer stories or anecdotes that they can't, you know, find somewhere. And the reality is, you know, on LinkedIn, you know, as you're building your brand, you're probably going to be sharing some of those experiences because, you you know, you're probably not, you know, just posting feature functions about your products because they can find that out. Right. So, again, you have to to have that Delta and share that with people. So they want to talk to Ravi. They're like, I got to go talk to Ravi because he just knows this industry. He knows the competing products. He knows what works. He knows what doesn't work. But, but to your point now, like that, that, that barrier, right. is like the bar is really high. 
you know, you can't like, I, I remember when I was on the tech side, like 15 years ago, I remember we had somebody that was selling the copiers and he'd just like drop off a brochure. I was like, that's it. That's all he's got to do. Like, that's way too easy, man. I could do that. I could do that like a hundred times better. <laughs> and, 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 and the, 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 the salespeople that are very good, right. They, you know, we've all heard the different approaches like challenger, all these things, but I mean, they, they typically have a ton of knowledge, right? So you come out of there, like, they're educators, man. Like they've, they've told you so much about what you're trying to do, whether it's product or a service, you're like, I got to go back and talk to Ravi because he knows so much. Um, you know, he's just, he's just the person I trust, you know, back to your point that you build that trust with knowledge. And I think, again, that's something that you can be out there building on platforms like LinkedIn is look, I, I have this experience. Here's the things not to do. Here's the things to do. And it, it is. And the other thing is, you know, people want something instantly, but it is a long game. Like it, sure, I've been on since 06, but it's really been in the last, you know, eight or 10 months that I've really doubled down. And again, the, the people that have really ramped it up in a year, it's been a year of like, you know, posting consistently, finding kind of a niche, finding that audience that they really want to engage with. Nothing happens overnight, man. You know, just as I do, there's, there's, there's nothing, if it's quick, yeah, there's probably, you know, there's probably something shady about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Like, the, the idea of quick sales has definitely changed. Right? The sales cycle is, it, it, like, it's actually, there's a pre-sales cycle before the even sales cycle, right? Yeah. That's kind of what we're talking about, is how do you create validity in the marketplace uh, with your potential customer base before they even convert to a sale? I mean, that's really the magic right now. Yeah. That's really where the game is, where like everything's focused on. It's not even at the endpoint conversion. It's before people are even thinking about it, uh, about the problem or uh, they face the problem, is how do you get into their minds being like, this is the solution that you provide, this is the values that you provide, this engage with me, engage with me. So when that problem arises for them, they know where to come. Right? Yeah. And even if you reach out and if, if, you, if they don't come and you go to them, they're already warmed up to it. Well, I think there's so much there's like so much technical and so much information um, out there that, you know, like if, if anything, it's almost like there's people are just flooded. Right. So you need to like distill it down for them. Like, you know, like people don't, people can download those white papers. People can watch those videos. The reality is like, they want you to just like distill it down. Like what is the Delta here? Right. Like between product X or product B or the reality is it's often like, what's the experience? Cause if it's a super transactional thing, it's, probably just price, right? Low friction. Like, can I get this product, swipe my credit card done? But if it's a complicated thing, they want to know, like, like, is Ravi going to take care of me versus, you know, competitor Y and, and how, how can you articulate that? But yeah, on the, on the low friction side, like that's just a, it's just a, almost like a commodity race to the bottom. If you've got something you can transact, you got to make it low friction. Like it always blows my mind when there's something that I want to get and it should be super easy and I'm not, and it's not, I'm like, I'm trying to give you my money and you're making it difficult. How is this even possible today? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I have a few clients I work with uh, that do that, right? Like, so we do sales, uh, sales uh, for tech companies and a lot of companies who do, don't know the value behind this, this level of thinking, because it's so foreign to them. And uh, tech is super, um, uh, like they have this problem with it because it's run full of engineers. Right. And just like a, a layman would not know like an engineer like, or like a software developer with a backend, the difference between a front end and a back end guy, the difference between analytics and like a UI person, right? There's a skill set that's differences in that. It's kind of lump it all together. They, they lump sales, people look outside and lump sales together. But even with an industry, we still kind of lump it together. And right now, 
Like what I like is a specialization concept, right? And going back to actually your point further about you have cut, uh, you have cleared the air for people, right? Clear through the, clear through all the noise to people. Right. Like we're seeing like influencers coming in as salespeople. Like salespeople turning in, in like you know kind of like influencers within their business. And I, I feel like there's really like a, a need here, like a transition point where like sales, the salesperson not having to engage with the one or two companies, like, like, like sell for one company. Why can't I, as a salesperson, just translate value, my beliefs, what I'm interested in, you know, and build this following base and then sell to people the kind of companies or things that I want. Right. And this is one of the main reasons I've been following Joe Rogan a lot, right? Like the number one podcast in the world, all this, it's like he's number one, but he, the way he translates information to people, right? He, one gathers a, gathers a great base, like, and he's not the only one. There's other, a lot of right. podcasters, a lot of influencers out there who do this. They translate value by having great conversations or providing content or providing something of value to bring an audience in and then use that validation to green light a product. You know, it could be like a, like a, um, like a, uh, like a tech product, it could be a physical product you buy, whatever it right, is. Right. But people, because they feel like they know the person, they trust the person, they engage with the person, that kind of validation transfers the product. Yep. And what I'm interested in is like, instead of co like companies, like business before, like especially in like the 20th century was these giant companies that produce all these infrastructure, hire people underneath them, and, and they do what the company tells them to now the broken down mechanics of, a company become you know, a small entity that provides part of service and engages with these independents who then validates them to the market on their behalf, right? Like the atomizing of the firm as uh, uh, Dan Sullivan puts it, right? And uh, it's like breaking apart of the mechanics within a larger company of being at one structure right. and becoming more democratized, becoming more decentralized. I'm really interested in that trend towards it. And for example, like in, in China right now, they have live streamers who live stream product details. Like they don't just talk and then sell a product. Wow. They're like doing live telemarketing. And people will tune in, just like people in the 90s would uh, tune into like a telemarketing infomercial and listen for like an hour while people sell you different things and call in to buy. There are live streaming platforms where live streamers wow. sit there and talk. Like there's one wow. guy I watched, he's like in a fish market and he's live streaming for fish market, talking about the individual fish. No Why is it good? Where is it came from? What you can do with it? How you can? And he's he's walking our fish market talking about different types of fish, and people are through the app buying that fish, and people on the back end are, are selling the orders. You know, there'll be there'll be women trying on dresses and showing how the different dresses look, and like you know, like what the, just like the fashion shows like on on uh, on like uh, city news or like any little kind of things, right? And people are buying, right? So the way so hmm. for sales sales is changing because it's going from, again, like, you know, the quick sales, taking advantage of people's lack of knowledge to now value-based sales. Right. And with that comes the opportunity to remove oneself from an organization and act as independent. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because that, that, that review piece, you know, I could see that definitely transitioning into, you know, obviously you have influencers uh, like the, the Gary Bees who could, who could go out and do live product reviews. I mean, we all know about, about them on Instagram, you know, they're, they're, they're doing, you know, a pretty good business there. Um, but it makes me think in the tech space, you know, like products like G2, where you, you know, you know, we can all, we can all Google something and, you know, there may be some reviews, uh, you know, of a restaurant, but now on that tech space, like, you know, G2 and I think uh, trust is trust radius. There's a few out there already, but like G2, like, I mean, 
a lot of people are really putting a lot of weight in those products now because they want, you know, they want kind of, they want some kind of, uh, I guess, ag not agnostic, but almost, you know, some kind of feedback. Um, but, you know, it's really interesting when you think of like, I'm just visualizing this fish market, right? I mean, somebody who's got a good following and is respected in an industry, there's no reason he couldn't start doing kind of like a live product review. Um, and, you know, I think that the risk will always be, you know, as soon as people find out if something's like pay for play, then, then the trust disappears. Um, but, you know, people, you know, video is massive, you know, right? and, and people kind of want to see things and they want to see kind of a short snippet. So, you know, I, I wouldn't be shocked if in the next six months to a year, we start seeing that where, you know, someone's doing live product reviews and, and, you know, we, we can all Google like, you know, what's this product like, but it's typically just somebody kind of walking you through, but actually, and maybe this exists, maybe I don't even know about it. Maybe I'm like behind the, the, the curve already, but it's really interesting, right? Because when I'm talking to clients, they always want that, you know, we, they always want to kind of talk to that other client. They always want that reference and, and they always want to see something. Um, and, mm -hmm. you know, when it comes from you, there's always a little bit of like, yeah, well, you're giving me your twist, right? I want to hear it from someone else. So it's really interesting. And maybe that, maybe that platform already exists, right? I mean, you got G2 that's just reviews, but almost like kind of that live review. Um, who knows, man, like today, anybody can spin something up and, and have it, you know, running tomorrow and then um, scaling in a month. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Like, I, I, that's, that's like the power of now, right? The ability to quickly position yourself into a market space. Yeah. Um, there's one company that I, I really love and follow. Um, what, how they originated from, I won't name them because I want to talk about a little bit like inside the scoop, but the origin story is they started as a, as a, uh, the founder went to uh, an investor, got some capital, white labeled an existing solution that was working in a different market, brought it to North America and started selling it, right? Got a bunch of, bunch of users behind it, proved the use case, used the, used the sales as a proof of concept, went to other investors, um, took, uh, uh, took more capital, right? And then use that to change the software more, make it more custom, make it more appealing for the market and, and growth curve it. And now the company's worth $30 million, right? Wow. So they didn't invent the product, right? They just moved it within the space uh, faster than even the parent company did, right? Who developed the actual software. And the way he was able to do it was because he, he just knew the, knew the product, he knew the solution and he sold it, right? And it comes back down to like the chief, the chief job of a CEO, a lot of people forget this, is a sell. Yeah. Um, I love Michelle Romanoff because she talks about this a lot on LinkedIn, right? If you're a CEO, you're really a salesperson. You're selling the company. You're selling the company culture to, the, to, to your employees and people yeah. under you. And you're moving a, a, every, everyone towards a common vision, right? Um, and uh, like a lot of companies, like they miss this aspect of themselves right they have an executive who kind of got there because you know they built this product or service but lacks the ability to think of that kind of sense and it's interesting to even note that even like steve jobs when apple was booming like he hired somebody else to perform this task because right. he wasn't able to do it at that caliber right the ability to step aside from a company as a founder and being like hey i need to plug this service in someone who can do this really shows that kind of simple character and I, that's one of the main like, one of the main thinking the steve jobs i think is like overlooked yeah. At, at, the pit of the, at, at the peak of his growth, he stepped away from the head seat and gave it to somebody else because yeah. he knew someone like, someone needed to be there. Amazon? Give me one second, sorry. I, yeah, I think so. Hold on. Hold on.
Yeah, it was Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny um you know it, it just when, when you were mentioning kind of you know the ceo has to follow me i couldn't agree more i mean sales driven culture we hear it all the time and i remember i had a post basically saying like you know we're basically selling 24 7 even if you're not in sales right like so many things we do in life you know uh, whether it's interviewing uh dating uh trying to convince your kid to brush their teeth uh you know trying to convince your spouse where you should go for dinner like fundamentally that's selling. And so, you know, I, I think everybody has it in their DNA. Some people don't like to do it and that's okay. Um, you know, there'll always be a raging, you know, debate, should it be an introvert or an extrovert? You know, the data will show you both of them perform well. And, you know, my wife's a teacher. I tell her like, you're, you're selling the curriculum to your students, man. You're, you're, you're selling why they should pay attention to you in class. So, you know, back to, you know, selling in a company, I think everybody's selling, right? The, the person that picks up the phone, the person that, you know, greets you in the office, everybody's selling. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that being part of the DNA of a company. Um, because yeah, th that's, you know, selling is bringing in revenue and revenue is like oxygen. Your company needs it. Yeah. Yeah. Can you, uh, can we talk a little more about that sales driven mindset you have? Like where did it come from? Like why transition to sales? What was that? <laughs> what was that? What, what brought you here? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think, in the back of mine, I mean, I had paper routes, I bought and sold things when I was a kid, like I was flipping things. Um, I still have a few old hockey cards that, you know, I'm convinced I'll be able to retire on, not going to happen. But <laughs> I think when I was, you know, when I was in, in kind of the tech support, and, and then started to move more into kind of uh, network admin and then consulting roles, I'd see the, the job of the salesperson, I thought I can do that. I have this knowledge. But until I actually kind of stepped my foot in there, I realized, you know, there's a big difference between, you know, having all this information, but then providing really what that, that customer needs, you know, so they don't need, for example, every level of detail. So, you know, if I think of a car salesperson, I mean, their job is, you know, you might come in and say, I want a convertible. Um, somebody might say, perfect, sell them the convertible, but your job really is to go like, whoa, like what, what's your story, man? Like, do you have a dog? Do you have five kids? And, you know, if you do have five kids, you know, maybe you're going to return that convertible. Um, in a few days, right? So, you know, you might have all the all that information, but your job really is to 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 help them make a good decision. And and longer term, like you want them to come back and and buy another car. And so, um, I, I always kind of saw also, you know, the the salesperson in in the parking lot had the shinier car. So I thought, well, obviously I want that role. The reality is, you know, that person that had the shinier car worked ten times harder than I did to get there, right? So you and I both know there's no there's no easy money in any job. And that salesperson that's, you know, worked that hard, they've built out that, you know, that pipeline, they've built out, um, you know, that strategy. Um, and and I, I really just love the, the, the art of selling, um, figuring out, you know, what the deal is, what the market is. And, and I just, you know, it's like a big problem to solve. There's some math, there's some science, um, there's a ton of psychology, you know, like what's your client thinking? What, what's actually driving them to do this? Um, so it's like a puzzle, man. It's a every day solving a big puzzle. Uh, sometimes you're doing it on your own. Sometimes you're doing it with people. And, and the thing is, there's no real right way to do it, right? There's what I've loved about LinkedIn is I've been able to connect and network with people. You know, there's Sandler training, there's you know, John Barrows, like there's, there's tons of schools, as you know, right? Schools of thought. There's no formal like degree, but you know, most people kind of learn it out in the field. And I can learn from all these people. And, and, you know, to your point, I mean, you, you, you can kind of hack your way to, to, 
becoming a better salesperson. And, and you can also hyper specialize. Like I'm, I'm in, I'm in, I guess, SaaS sales, for lack of a better term. Uh, but you can be hyper specific around an industry. You can be outbound, you can in, be inbound. And so, I mean, what I love about it is, you know, like in sports, you're a free agent. So if you perform well, you can go anywhere, right? Any team, you can play for any team. Um, and um, if you want to play with, you know, the best team um, and you want to be on, on, on the, on the line with, with the, you know, the A players, you just, you just got to perform and then you can get on that all-star team. And so I love it because it kind of feels like anybody can make it. Yeah. 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 It, like one of the parts of sales that I love it, like it's how democratized it is and yeah. like how freeing it is. Cause yeah. if you can perform, you're actually have a lot more uh, power within the organization or within your life. Um, than you would do in any other industry because it's literally the lifeblood of uh, the economy. <coughs> right? It's the, tra- the, the, buy- the, the transfer of uh, value, yep. right? monetary value of informatic information value, all that. So what, like, I want to get a little more into your mindset about, about like, you know, what is like a perfect sale for you? Like, do you have like a sale that like you still remember and be like, wow, like that, that's, like a, that's like a hallmark moment for you. That's a great question, you know, and, 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 and uh, I feel fortunate because I've, I've got a nice mix of kind of mid-market and some enterprise stuff. So, you know, the enterprise stuff, you know, some people just don't like it. They, they hate the length of the sales cycle. Um, what I find fascinating about it, right, it is, is a long game, takes a lot of patience, but, you know, it's, it's a lot more kind of tactical around. There's a lot of players, there's a lot more strategy, and it's, you just have to have a ton of patience. Um, there's none of those that really jump to mind, but what I found in the mid-market um, is interesting is, is the speed of some of those deals. But what I think is often, I don't want to say overlooked, but, um, you know, the, it's the speed, you know, like people, you know, there's, there's tons of data around a lead coming in, you know, if you're first to kind of pick the phone up and call them, and I can think of a few in the last three months that have closed because, um, you know, were we, were we the right, you know, um, company to do business with? Absolutely. But we are also the first one to contact with them. And I think a lot of people forget like that first point of contact and then even that follow-up, like you're already building up some trust there. Right. So, I mean, if you can, if you can be on your game when you call them, I mean, you can do a ton of research like in two minutes just to find out, okay, this is the company. Um, we probably have a bunch of things that could help them. So boom, you can get on the phone with them and people, people, you know, already that level of trust goes right through the roof. If I'm the first guy to call you back, Ravi versus, you might be thinking, I'd love to do business with the company. And they don't call you back for like four days. You're like, what is going on with these guys? Like, you're already starting to doubt if I do business with them, I'm going to have to wait four days to hear back from them every time. Like, that's crazy, right? So they've already like dropped right down. And then again, like, how quick are you to get back with them? Because the reality is, I think people, people basically see, especially in SaaS sales, they don't, they don't understand they assume it can be instant. And in some cases, like it can be almost instant. Right. And so, I mean, it it can be your worst enemy because you can, you can build that expectation, but that's what I've really liked is, you know, people had this, um, you know, urgency and you're able to kind of match that. Those are some of my favorite ones and not not because I don't have the patience for the longer ones, but uh, you were able to just like pounce on it. Absolutely. I mean, that's like a, like a very gratifying experience when you find the opportunity and you're just fulfilling it right away. It's an empowering, it's an empowering thing, right? Like you found a problem yeah. and you have been able to solve it for somebody. Yeah. Right? Um, I, w- I want to swing back a little bit to yeah. 
with that, that, that feeling, right? So, I mean, you're, you've currently talked about how you've been working home now for a number of years, right? Like, and you're able to do that because you're in the industry you're in and the for company sure. you're, in, you're in, right? Um, was, how big of a factor was that in leading to the direction that you are in now? Working from home, being able to be, have it run your own hours, yeah, it's interesting. When I got into it, I mean, I started in pre-sales and, um, you know, remote work still really wasn't a big thing, I don't think. Um, then when I got into selling originally, it still really wasn't. And then it was not till really my second job where um, there really wasn't anybody in my office that I interacted with. All the teams I worked with were remote. So that's when I first transitioned. And I'll be honest, it was tough because I'm a, I'm a social person. Um, and I miss that, but uh, fortunately I'm on the phone or on video a lot of the day, so I, I still get that piece. But what's actually been really interesting is it, I find it's made me a much better, um, makes me manage my time better. So I, I was that guy that could like run into Ravi at the water cooler and we'd just like shoot the breeze for an hour and, you know, wasn't super productive. So now I find like, you know, I, I, I can jam in more into a day and not waste a lot of time. And to be frank with you, like, I don't know if I'd really be interested in any roles that weren't remote now because I have a ton of autonomy. And I think most companies now realize like that autonomy, you're, you're basically telling your employees, like, I trust you. I, I trust you a ton. And um, I, I think you're going to find more and more. There's just some people's like, that's not even an option. Now, do you have to get on a plane once in a while or get on a train and, and go meet with the team? For sure. Like there's face to face will never go away. I still want to meet with some of my prospects and clients if I can in person. Obviously right now it's not possible, but you know, I think, I think that remote piece and right now we're seeing it, right? Some companies are like, well, I guess we could do this, but I think sadly the remote piece, the companies that are still hesitant, it, it really boiled down to trust. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think what's super interesting right now is like, we're swinging from an economy where 4% of the workforce worked remotely to now almost it's been completely flipped where everyone's at home and working from home. Yeah. And I was talking about this earlier on our earlier podcast, how this is our sixth week that we're swinging into a lockdown. And, you know, if you look at the habit forming, uh, habit forming, right? It takes about six weeks for new habits to become ingrained. Okay. So this week it's become, you know, all the processes and all the new, the newness of working from home and running remotely is now being ingrained into people worldwide. Like millions of people who are, now have swung into the process of working from home and figuring it out and making it work remotely that I've gotten, gotten used to it, right? I, like, I really feel like that's going to be a blowback in going back to normal, which is you know, going back to work, like going back to that. And I think it could be system-wide. Like even the top level, the top levels are looking at, you know, why were they spending $30,000 for an office space, mm. you, know, uh, you know, per month on the office space, bring everyone in when we're clearly getting the same amount of work done for, for much less cost. Yeah. You know, we're more, more efficient in that kind of sense, right? In an operational standpoint. So I feel like this is going to be the forced learning curve where a lot of the market's going to switch to remote working remotely and working from home and all these kind of things. And right from the get-go, like when we first had a conversation about how, how you're finding the lockdown, when you told me like, you know, I'm not really feeling it because I've been working at home for a while. And I'm seeing you like you're, you're, you're in a suit sitting at home in your home office. And, uh, and like, you're clearly more invested in that because like, if you, like, like yourself, more people who are seasoned in the work from home environment, talk about the importance of you know, dressing just like you're going to work, of putting yourself in the mentality of going to work. Of, yep. This is my work environment. And you set yep. a way to place the work within your, within your home where, you, where that's 
pull your focus towards work and the importance of mindset and maintaining yourself. You, you have a head start uh, towards this mentality. So in the, in the spirit of hashtag being COVID-19, uh, can you instill some of that advice uh, onto our audience? Like how do you- Absolutely. To work yeah, I think it's a great question because I think, you know, what, what was really difficult for a lot of folks and myself included, you know, five years ago is, you know, like you said, people, it takes six weeks to kind of form that habit. So, you know, how many people had, you know, their commute, their coffee, their routine in the office, go to the gym, like, you know, that was like, you know, ingrained into them. So now to kind of go to a totally different space where, you know, when you went home, you, you had a whole different, you know, mindset routine, you know, that's where you chillax. So, you know, what I've told people is I still have to have a routine at home, right? I still, I still, you know, have a routine, you know, workout, shower, breakfast, and then I tell people I commute to my basement office, but, you know, and, and you know, do I wear like a t-shirt on a Friday or something, but yeah, sure. There's nothing wrong with that. And I don't care if, if people on the other end of the line want to wear, you know, a, a track suit, if they want to wear a tuxedo, like, I don't really care. But for me, you know, I had so many years in office and client facing that it is like a mental shift, right? So, you know, if I feel like uh, I'm ready to, you know, get into a professional engagement just because of the way I'm put together today, it, it, it kind of, you know, it, it hits my, you know, mental kind of framework of this is how you, you know, you're kind of got your game suit on, you're ready to, to, to kind of be in a professional mindset. So I think, you know, that structure is super important, like more important because you have to, you have to build that structure. Whereas at work, it's almost like, you know, it's there for you. And so I think it's really important to still have a routine and it's not easy for everyone because everybody doesn't have that, that space. But I find even just having the space where you're going to work, because before, you know, we'd like commute, go to a place, and then we'd kind of go away from that place. So you had some time typically to go from your like office to your home. They were very separate spaces. So you could kind of switch off, even though it is hard with, you know, phones to switch off. But you know what I mean? Like people could kind of like, you know, take their suit off and then, you know, put their flip flops on. Whereas now it's like, you just, you just go from one room to another. So I know for myself, that was tricky. And I know for a lot of people, they find that difficult because they're like, well, the dining room table is just like, I'm here all day. And so they, they're actually more exhausted. And another tip I would give people is um, this, you know, Zoom or Teams or whatever you're using, like, it, like the burnout from just doing this all day is real. Cause it's like, we're on right now, right? We're on camera. We're like hyper engaged. When you were in an office, you weren't looking at yourself. Like, when you're having this conversation, it's, it's a lot more deep and, and you have to be like really fully invested. Right. Whereas like the four of us around a boardroom, you're just listening to Ravi talk and then John and Jane, but here, like I, I, I see myself, you see yourself. So it's like, if you do this for eight hours, dude, it, it, it'll knock you out, man. And, and it's, I, I've been telling people and I'm trying to practice what I preach. I take like half of my calls now outside walking, like no video. I'm like, look, man, I've known you for 10 years. I don't need you to see you. Like, <laughs> we can just talk and and you know you you can be sitting behind the desk looking at yourself on a video all day i don't think that's healthy so yeah. there is a downside absolutely like yeah absolutely like and one uh, one uh like in one view like the advantage is we can do more calls and talk to our international audience like super super easily more fluidly but sorry the, the idea of being on all the time is is definitely fatiguing yeah. Uh, I mean, for example, even on Zoom, I find myself like, uh, like even right now, I'm not on the mode where it pops up, whoever's talking pops up on the screen. Because if I'm talking, my screen comes up, I'm getting distracted by seeing myself, Yeah. right? Like on a group call and whatever, just like those, those, those small effects 
affect how we are and how we communicate sure. and how we think, right? Because yeah. we're seeing that. Uh, I, I know what you're talking about. Like, I, I'm not sure. I've seen some posts, uh, postings about that. The studies are coming out saying that people mm -hmm. who are feeling more exhausted because of these video calls, because they yep. feel like they have to be on all the time and seeing, and seeing themselves interact with people also have an, have an adaptation, right? So and you're thinking about what's in the background. Like you're worried about, you know, your kid walking in, you're like, is my house a mess? Like you're, you're just like more hyper aware of what you're looking like. And um, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, me in front of this camera and you in front of this camera, like, you know, like everything's HD now. Like, so people are like, man, I, I gotta be like, I gotta look good. Um, whereas when you come into the office, right? Like you, I'm not this close to you when we're talking, right? So um, things are recorded. So it's like, you know, there's lots of good sides to working from home, but I think this piece people are actually starting to be aware now, like um, it, it, you can overdo it, right? Video is great, but I mean, you know, if you've known somebody and worked with them for a decade, you probably don't need to see their face, man. You can probably just jump on a phone call. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, let's talk a little bit more about the changes in business you'll see sure. now because uh, of COVID-19, right? Um, from moving more from, you know, work uh, yourself, how you, how you operate to how you operate as a business to the external world. Like, how is it, how is this of lockdown? How is COVID-19, how has all this changed business for you? Uh, what are the positives, negatives you see? Yeah, I mean, I think, again, I, I feel pretty fortunate because we were probably, we're about 150 um, at Encore and I'm, I've been at home, I think 70% of our workforce has been at home. And, um, you know, again, the, the good side is like, we sell solutions that help people work remotely. So th this has been pretty good. I, I think right now what, um, you know, I think we're actually, we're seeing a lot of, for the people who aren't used to working from home, and, le and let's be clear, what's unique about this situation is everyone has to work from home. Most people's kids are home. There's also a pandemic. So there's like this, this added element of like, for some people, um, you know, there's just a lot of stress because either their family or even somebody in their immediate family could be at risk, right? So I think, you know, it's, it's easy to go, hey, look, everybody's working from home. No, like a lot of people are like, I got a kid trying to do their homework behind me. I'm trying to, you know, close deals or, you know, so it, it isn't, it isn't normal, right? So I think, I think we're, you know, one thing we're seeing is that, sales? what's that? Is it affecting your sales process when the other people on the other end? They like you might be used to work from home, but they are now like your your prospects. Right. Like, are you seeing prospects now working from home and deal with the awkwardness of that? And is it, is it affecting your deal flow? Yeah, I think so. We're seeing kind of two to three different things. You know, one is you know either a company's going, hey man, like we're distributed now and we weren't really ready for this. We need a couple things to kind of help us be able to continue work effectively, um, or. Um, you know, we're like an essential service. So kind of what we were wanting to do with you is like super low priority now. Like we're making animal food, like that's priority number one. Or um, we're like in a really affected industry, right? And we don't know what we're gonna be in a few months. So um, yeah, they're, they're putting the brakes. I would say kind of just from the cu customer conversation, you know, like tons of tons of talk on LinkedIn, for example, about empathy and, and I, I kind of find some irony there that, you know, we should have always been empathetic. Um, but now, you know, I think, I think you just have to be a little bit more kind of just raw and just be like, look, man, I know you're, you know, your life's probably crazy right now. Like you, you probably are dealing with homeschooling a kid. Um, this may or may not be a priority for you. So I found people are actually just pretty open to just be very open with you. Like we're all, we're all kind of in this struggle together. 
And I think they're, they're just a little bit more open around, yeah, this is actually something we really need to look at or, or, um, or being very open around, like, we just don't know what the next month's going to look like. Like, you know, I have no certainty around this and, and that's okay. And so I think, I think, you know, when talking to customers, um, I think you always should have been empathetic, but now I think it's just the reality is like, they're probably, they probably don't know a lot. Right. So you, you can't, you, you probably can't be in a position to really push something. And I think that's okay. And hopefully your senior management realizes like, you've got to probably relook at what, you know, those quotas were because, um, who isn't affected. Right. Absolutely. Like, and that's the interesting part about who isn't affected. Everyone's being affected and yep. in different ways. Yep. Uh, what I'm particularly interested about right now is, you know, we're hearing all these stories about, you know, all these people, like 80% of the market right now is suffering, you know, because they're changes, um, they're, they're, they're becoming more inefficient. The front, front stores are closed. Uh, the business is ground to a halt. They're kind of waiting it out. But there is what 20% in the market space who's completely, the market's going to be blown up for them especially in the technology spaces, right? Where there's suddenly more customers than ever. The, the barriers that they might've had previously are gone. The competitors they've faced before are, are, are disillusioned, right, of, of what's happening. So there's a lot of entry-level companies, medium-sized companies that are actually aggressively blowing, even large ones, like Netflix of the world, right? Are just uh, experiencing phenomenal growth. Yeah. And they don't know how to grow in, a, in this world either, where everything's remote and distributed and running. And that's, that's, that's really where my interest is. It's like, how do you deal with growth when you're dealing with this, this newness of the world? You can't go and rely on old, tried and tested um, methodology. Yeah. Right? Have you experienced this or have you talked to companies that are in, on heavy growth mode and trying to deal with growth at this point? You know, if I think of just some of the clients I'm dealing with, um, there's not a lot to come to mind. But the one story that does come to mind is kind of in the online grocery space. So, you know, it was interesting with somebody out of San Francisco that this is their whole business model, right? Like they built, they're, they're, they don't have kind of like a grocery store, they have a warehouse. And he was saying like, this is you know, your traditional grocery store. The reason they're struggling is the aisles are meant for you and I to go through with a grocery shopping cart and pick things that are convenient. You know, a, a warehouse, for doing deliveries is more like, you know, an Amazon warehouse. It's all about efficiency. So, you know, we're, we're in a good position now to, to scale and grow, but you're, you know, you're low blahs, you know, like I've, I've done the delivery service and they're like scrambling because some poor person's running around with a shopping cart trying to fill that order. When, you know, the other guy that built his warehouse for efficiency, he's just like, no, like we got, you know, we have a route, we know where all this stuff is, boom, they can fill those orders. And so I think, you know, there's industries like that that are trying to scramble uh, and figure out. I mean, we've seen, you know, pizza deliveries going through the roof. You know, they've had that figured out. Like guys like Domino's that had an app. You know, they're just like, we just need more people now, right? They, 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 can, they can scale. They just need like more humans. Um, so it's interesting where I think some of these guys are, are kind of scrambling. So I think some of these guys are realizing like, look, you know, the, the model we had wasn't ready for this. And I think, you know, the ones that can, that can pivot and, and capture some of that market share. I think some of those people, man, if they have a good experience with that online shopping uh, of grocery delivery, they aren't going to go back. So there's a pretty interesting opportunity right now for some of these guys. I think like the Netflix, yeah, they've seen a spike, but the reality is when we all get to go do what we wanted to do, there's going to be a massive drop because summer's going to be here. We're going to be able to travel. So I think some of these spikes, you know, like Zoom went from 10 to 300 million users. 
people are going to go back to doing their their music and dance classes face to face after this right so they're going to see a drop so it's interesting where there's a bunch of spikes right now um but on the e-com side you know that's interesting right so if if people now built an online store um you know and 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 the consumer had a good experience i think some of those ones are going to stick absolutely e-commerce a lot of e-commerce companies are making a killing right now and the beauty of e-commerce companies is like they're so lean yeah a five percent ten percent company can do so much now yeah. with the tools and capabilities that are either existing you can automate away functions and and empower the individuals to do more right yeah and, it, and it, even then like you just outsource different capabilities uh when you're, you're going to other agencies and other, other, other companies to fulfill that for sure um, so absolutely um yeah but this has been great um before we wrap up we tell you can you tell us a little bit about uh, the, the system you sell about uh, the company you work at yeah yeah for sure so i'll share a couple things with you know i mean by day i work for a microsoft partner called encore business solutions um we've been around for like 30 years so i spent a good part of my time talking to people about you know some of the different collaboration tools uh financial applications crm um and so you know i i, I work with customers across north america and then, you know, by not by night, but uh, one thing that we've been getting a lot of uh, fun traction with is something on Friday. It's called Five on Friday, where we have salespeople that uh, can come in and practice their, their demo, their call script, their pitch. And essentially, you know, we just it's volunteer driven. We just get people on the call to practice their pitch. Um, and then we get some, you know, five to six people uh, giving feedback. So kind of sales coaching. So it's this cool, safe space where you know, Rabin come in here and say, hey, man, I'm launching this product. This is kind of my marketing strategy. Um, you know, this is what I'm doing. This is what's working. This is what's not. And then you can get some live real-time feedback from sales professionals from every corner of uh, the world, to be honest. So um, it's been fun because I'm learning a ton because, you know, there's, there's never, you know, I'm always a student. There's, there's so many things I can learn in the selling world. So that's been super fun. And uh, I can send you some details around it and uh, anybody's welcome. So you can be selling for like a week or you can be selling for 10 years. Perfect. Sorry, it's one. Wife just walked by and the dog just went a little, a little crazy here. But uh, also, Preto, let's wrap this up. Yeah. It's a, it's a great uh, segue for us to close, but really enjoyed the conversation. For sure. Stick around for a bit to, um, and we'll do a quick debrief. Yeah, for sure, man. Awesome.